Welcome to another episode of Web3 Disruptors. I am thrilled today to welcome our latest guest, Min Wei. She is the Global Head of Ecosystem Growth at Algorand Foundation. She's responsible for building partnerships, attracting and supporting Web3 verticals, and scaling community activations. Prior to her role, she led partnerships at blockchain.com and she also co-founded a venture-backed startup that built consumer-facing apps and was the COO. Thank you so much for joining us, Min. We are delighted to have you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So as a starting point, it'd be wonderful to just understand a little bit about your journey into Web3 and how you got here. Of course. So my tech has kind of always been in my DNA. I started my career sort of developing software, and then I dabbled a little bit in tech and media. And as you mentioned, in 2016, I started a company with a couple of co-founders, and that was actually my journey into Web3. Initially, we were at this co-working space that had just I see just companies building origin protocol was launching on a desk like five desks away, all these other, like this ICO, this quantum based ICO crypto started on the other side of the room, just like all this frenzy around Web3. And we ended up actually the company got acquired by blockchain.com, which is my official journey into crypto. And I've never looked back since. Amazing. And so tell us about your current role at Algorand Foundation. Yeah. So right now I lead ecosystem growth at the foundation. And what this really means is getting applications, getting developers and getting users into our ecosystem. We look at uh, our community, figuring out ways to activate the community around Algorand. Mm -hmm. We look at specific verticals. So Web3, DeFi, Impact, et cetera. Look for entrepreneurs look for developers that really want to build solutions in those verticals and help them be successful. We look at ways in which we could partner with other ecosystems and other tools and platforms to have to, to build out our ecosystem. And then, of course, we make strategic decisions. For example, in India, we made a strategic decision to go deep in India and really build our ecosystem from the ground up. So it's really very much about uh, what can we do to help grow this ecosystem around this amazing tech that Algorand has built. Perfect. And let's talk about the tech then so that we can contextualize those things. So what does Algorand do? What problem are you solving? Yeah, so Algorand is a layer one blockchain. It was founded by Turing winning professor at MIT, Sylvia McCauley. It is a proof of stake consensus mechanism, but it's a pure proof of stake consensus, which is all about prioritizing security. So you actually don't have to have in most proof of stake consensus mechanisms, it's the amount of the asset that you have that determines whether or not you get selected to validate a block. In on Algorand, as that is randomly, we call it a verifiably random selection of which node and which which node gets to validate a block. So that makes it incredibly secure. It is also incredibly fast. We There's over 7,000 transactions per second that we process. And the very unique thing about Algorand is the finality that it has. So again, on most blockchains, you have to wait for a certain number of blocks to confirm a transaction in order for that to be considered considered 
a complete transaction. On Algorand, once a block is confirmed, it is final and it's a 3.3 second finality, which matters a lot in enterprise grade solutions and applications. So that that is like a very unique thing that, that Algorand provides as a platform. Mm-hmm. And just for people that are less familiar with the technical side of things, when you talk about the speed and the, the, how fast it is, and then you also mentioned that the finality is really important. Why is that? Yeah. So it's almost like if you think about when you, when you sign up on a website, right, you put in your name, you put in a password, and we've been trained over the past 20 years to since the whole internet.com days, We've been trained that we expect the website to come back immediately and log you in. Mm-hmm. That is on, on the back. There's so much transaction that's happening. There's confirmation, there's checking of your data credentials, et cetera, et cetera. So the reason why it's important in a blockchain web three application for it to be fast is it's like the user experience, right? Like we expect this to happen. The, and that's like how fast it is. But the finality is really important because it is a, it's almost like it's, it's a certainty that something is true or not. <laughs> it's almost a little bit of a binary decision, right? Is it true? Is it men or is it not men? And you can't like be 60% sure that it's men, right? You have to be 100% sure that's men. And so that's why the 3.3 second finality matters so much in some of these really important applications like settlement, pay mm-hmm. for payments and mm-hmm. identity and all that stuff. So that's the reason why those two unique aspects about the block blockchain really kind of shines in in our world. Yeah. Okay, great. And so you've obviously had this incredible career and a lot of variants to it. When you made the decision to join the Algorand team, what was it about what the organization and what the team are doing that sort of captured your imagination and sort of made you feel that this was something that you wanted to be a part of? Yeah, I... There are a couple of things that I learned when I was doing my own startup that really kind of, I think, plays throughout decisions I've made since then. One is for any, for anything that you do, if the tech is good, then your job is just about figuring out how to make it better. And for me, when I was at blockchain.com, we, I came across Algorand as a layer one and as an ecosystem at the time. and Every single person that has worked with Algorand in supporting it and our platform just talks about how the tech is so great, so easy, and so solid. So I think fundamentally, I just, I think that part of Algorand ecosystem really attracted me. The other thing that really kind of plays through for me is I just really enjoyed meeting the people. When I first met Stacy, our CEO, I just really appreciated her vision, just mm-hmm. like the clarity of her vision, but also just her openness of being able, of wanting to try things that she hasn't tried before and being open to new, to kind of new ways of trying these different things. I just really appreciated that, that, that approach. I think. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing I've learned in doing my own startup, it's all about the people. Mm-hmm. People just makes, makes or breaks it. And you want to be with the right people. And that's the reason why this mm-hmm. opportunity really meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your startup life because there's a lot of kind of founders potentially or aspiring founders that yeah. may well want to sort of take that same path. What was that journey like for you? And what did you really learn through that process? 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I guess my first, my first advice to anybody who is even thinking about doing it is if you're thinking about it, that means you should do it. (laughs) If there is, if you have that bug, it's, you got to go for it. And because one of the biggest lessons I've learned from starting my startup is you got to be in it to win it. Right. You, if you don't, if you don't try, you won't know, you will just never know. And so my personal journey into it was a fairly, it was almost like too easy. I met my two co-founders. They were just a brilliant technologist, a brilliant product person. And I just really liked hanging out with them. So it was an easy decision for me to say, let's do this. Um, but, but I've learned so much, even though, you know, it, I've learned so much just being with them and working with them. I have I spent 15 years in New York and have this attitude of, or I used to have this attitude of like, well, it's something everybody wants. It's not, I mean, that's maybe not that special. I don't know Mm -hmm. if I want it. But what I've learned in doing my own startup is like, if you're trying to build a consumer product, the goal is to get the mass to like it. Mm -hmm. You have to know what everybody else likes. And the only way for me to know about it is to try it. And so that like really got Every single time I'm trying to figure out a new user acquisition method or a new partnership that we should do to grow our product, I, I, I like I keep reminding myself it's about trying things, and it, you have to just like give it a try, mm-hmm. and then you'll know whether or not it works or not. So I think that is like the number one thing, and I think that plays through. If you're thinking about it, you got to try it. You just have to. I mean, of course, be thoughtful about your decisions, right? But you have to try it because otherwise, you won't know. And then I think the other main thing that I've learned from doing my own startup, which I think applies again, I sort of take with me throughout is it's all about knowing your superpower and then knowing what you're not good at and just being very sort of honest about it and then embrace it. Right. Like, and so it's like, for me, it was a big moment of introspection during and after the startup, just kind of figuring out what works for me and what didn't and what, how to move forward. And so that experience is so valuable for me. I, and that's why I also just, if for anybody who is interested in a startup, I think just the personal learnings that you gain from it is so valuable. I'd echo that as well. The piece that you described around understanding what you're good at and what you're not good at really resonates for me as a, also as someone who's found a couple of businesses, like you, you can't then build a team of people who are really similar to you. You actually have to build a team that is about complementary skill sets because with that self-knowledge, you say, I know I am not going to be good at this. So therefore, I really need to make sure that this person is good at it. And, and so the chemistry that you described with your two partners is so important. But I also think that self-knowledge piece and the sort of subsequent hiring in in that vein starts to be really important as well. A hundred percent. And I'll just even give you an example, right? Like it's the, before the startup, I was working at bigger companies with like tens of thousands of people. Decisions were like consensus driven decisions. Right. And I come to a startup of three people. You know, my co-founder, Fred is the CTO. He builds the tech. Tian is the CEO and product guy. He kind of helps us prioritize the product decisions and I'm running all the business and other stuff. Decisions just have to be made. And so like my first month, I was like, hey guys, what do you think about 
this tool for HR and that tool for product. And I realized like, that is not a decision I need to ask them about. That's a decision I need to be making. And, but, you know, just, just the, just being decisive and being fast to make those decisions matters so much when you're a three person organization versus right. Like a 50,000 person organization. And I will take that away with me, like no matter where I go, because, and now I remind myself, I need to be decisive Mm -hmm, and I need to mm -hmm. be quick on these decisions and I need, and I can recognize it when I need to be that for my team. So I think it's all about, to your point, it's all about complementing your skill sets with the rest of your team and being very aware of what needs to be done in those circumstances. Yeah. And not everybody can do both of these environments. That's the other thing is uh, the assumption is we work for a startup, work for this big structured corporate, and it's just adapting. What When I look at this from a view of talent, I see that there are a subset of people that are capable of doing that. And then there are some people who are amazing at startups and they take it to a certain point and then it's time for them to go off and chase something new. And then the same thing with people in a corporate environment where they are, they're big company people and that's their, really their bag and what they bring to the party. There's, it's really not as common as people think that you can flow within both of those environments. So it's kind of another piece, I think, of, again, knowing yourself or definitely knowing how you're going to need to sort of adapt because the resources that you get in a large organization versus a startup, it's, I mean, it's worlds apart. And this is why like self-awareness, yeah, no, like this constant introspection and constant awareness of your role within the organization, your role within the team and your role within what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. I, I think it's so important and I think not talked about enough. Yeah. So what was the app that you built? Well, so we, it was a consumer facing. And at mm-hmm. the time we actually went through a couple of different iterations. Initially, it was really about building a network that is more, a more private and smaller network. It was at the time recognizing that Facebook was, was really big, but wasn't getting the real engagement that you wanted. Instagram was nice. And then there was like a Snapchat that was all about private and like disappearing messages. So we wanted to kind of bring together an app that really helped like sort of a true network of friends or family, but that was really hard. It was really hard to kind of find the right traction. And then we pivoted a little bit toward sharing of, of sort of private moments, like, like with family, it's like, I'm on my way here. And when I'm going to be there kind of just helping almost like a mix of a communication and a social network app. But again, there, it was really hard because the competition around like what, what, like 360 life, 360 coming online at the time. And so we had faced a lot of, and Zenly was another app that got acquired by Snapchat. So it was like, it felt like we had a good idea, a good seed Mm -hmm. of an idea, but like, like any other consumer startups, the timing. Totally. Timing's everything. uh, Yeah. Everything. Yeah. But But again, the the journey and the learns and things like that are also just so, so invaluable as you kind of mentioned. Yeah. It's so, I still think back to those days and I'm like, oh yeah, this I remember yeah. those days. <laughs> yeah, very cool. So yeah. we talked, uh, you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, actually. It, 
going into and being involved around partnerships and just the growth of the ecosystem is an exciting and really interesting space to, to be in. It's not widely known, I think, how to get yourself into that arena, right? How to get involved in and to orient your career into partnerships, into ecosystem growth. And I can say this firsthand in in speaking to to people in the space on the talent side, I get asked this question a lot. So I'd love your perspective around how would you frame the parameters of that role and how do people put themselves in a position to to, to be in that to be in that role? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's a tricky one, right? So what does partnerships mean, right? What does it mean when somebody is doing partnerships? So to me, it's kind of you're trying to grow a business or trying to grow a product by working with external parties. That is both very specific and very vague at the same time. Yeah. Right? Specific because it's all about uh, external parties. It's like that line is drawn. But vague because growing a business and growing a product, that could mean anything. And so I think the way I typically ground the thinking around this is like, there are a couple different ways in which you could grow a business or a product, right? It's either revenue or user acquisition slash distribution, or you're trying to grow a product or a platform. So And the way, the reason why that's important is the way you would build partnerships for those three different types of quote unquote growth. It's very different. Like a revenue partnership requires you to find a third party to work with that you have new profit or new money revenue coming in. You have to do a revenue share. It's like e-commerce on a platform, get together a bunch of, I'm thinking back to my media days, like a blog network where you can do rev share with the bloggers, right? A distribution or user acquisition type partnership is much more about like thinking big, like mobile pre-installs on mobile phones or big traffic referrals, or how do you partner with Walmart? But that's a whole different set of value exchange that you need to think about when you're talking about distribution and user acquisition. Like what did they get? What do you get? Right. And then, and then actually you know, what I tend to like quite a bit, and I think it is a lot of times underplayed, is the product and platform partnerships. I, I worked at WordPress.com, which is sort of a, it's an enterprise hosting service for WordPress. And at the time, we, we wanted to build out the ecosystem of apps and service providers that are building on WordPress at the time. And so it's about like, it's about attracting developers. And so this kind of is a little bit relevant to my current job, right? It's like, it's about attracting developers that want to build and then helping them find the right way to integrate their product into your ecosystem. Mm -hmm. It's about finding, finding services that make sense for other people that are looking to build. It's like, I love it because it's all about growing together. And that's another type of partnerships as well. So yeah, I mean, to your point, it's so, and even just on, as I'm talking through it, they're all so different. So this is why partnerships, I think just really depends on the company. It really depends on what you are trying to achieve. And I think taking it back to your kind of initial question of like, how does one get into it? I think it's really just, I feel like there's no real like clear path into it's more it's more a mindset, if you will, of like how to think about growing a business and a product and, and taking the angle of like being creative 
and reaching out to what you think are tangential businesses, tangential ideas to then find ways to work together to grow. Where do you see, so, so if you were to look at peers that are doing kind of similar roles, where do you see people coming from? So what sorts of roles do they transition from in, uh, to, to sort of navigate into partnerships? Yep. So I typically see a couple of different connections in. One is like a strategy role is if are, is they're pretty, they're pretty common to move from strategy into a biz dev or a partnerships type role. Somebody who's thinking about the high levels and then want to get a little bit more sort of into the weeds and execution. Yeah. I think that's how I would think about that. I also, I mean, of course, there's also an element of sales that is a part of BD and partnerships. So I think that's a very easy transition as well. It's almost like strategic sales in some cases, mm-hmm, right? Depending mm-hmm. again, depending on the organization. But then I also see in some t- in, in some cases like marketing, right? Like marketing is all about growing the user base and user acquisition in the funnel. Mm-hmm. So you could I could also see a slice of if you're thinking about optimizing a funnel, optimizing user acquisition. What are ways in which you can partner with others to do so, right? That's another way sort of of thinking about it. And then, of course, product is this sort of new, I mean, not so new anymore, but it still feels new Mm -hmm. in terms of a function that is that cuts across a lot of different disciplines. So I've also seen folks that have worked in product that have very good partnership sense and very good BD sense, because it's really about aligning aligning your goals and then figuring out how to achieve them. So I've definitely seen marketing and product kind of come into the fold, but you know, the traditional paths, I would say Mm -hmm. more strategy and sales. Yes. We've seen, I mean, you've seen this quite a bit. Like what have you seen in terms of folks that kind of come into partnerships BD? Yeah, I think you've defined it really well in that it is a, it, you, you're essentially looking for a mindset and you're looking for almost transferable skills. So probably the most common that I, where I sort of see people making the transition is they're in some sort of business development role already, but maybe at a more sort of strategic level and, or focused on, on sort of growth goals for the organization, which just looking at partnerships is just another, another avenue, like a different, a different sort of perspective. That's where I would say I've seen maybe 70, 78% of people make the transition. But I also think it's kind of an interesting topic because there's all the other people that maybe don't realize that they could make that leap or that they do have that skill set because they're not coming from a traditional business development background or strategy. But I think what you did was kind of connected the dots around other avenues that, that provide really kind of a route into to the space, which is, which I wholeheartedly agree with. Yeah. And I will say then, like, if you think about Web3 and blockchain, that's a whole layer of like new complexity into yeah. thinking about partnerships. And I'm just sort of thinking about my role, like the way I think about sort of growing the ecosystem for the foundation, because we got to look across the entire ecosystem versus the way I would think about partnerships as a protocol within our ecosystem. Mm-hmm. That is different, right? So like there's, yeah, it is very nuanced, but I'd say the thing for me that ties it all together to your point is just like understanding what the goals are that you want to achieve and then just being creative and figuring out 
ways to achieve it, right? So, so you mentioned the extra layer of complexity with Web3. If we take it to zoom out, take it to, to Web3, one of the things that I think we can all agree is this is a space that it moves so incredibly fast, faster than really than any space that I've been involved in. And, and it's really difficult sometimes for people to keep up with the pace of change. Well, what are your predictions? Where do you see things going for Web3? What's, what, what do you think the next 12 months is going to look like? I mean, I don't think it's going to slow down. <laughs> if anything, it's going gonna, it's gonna to just keep moving at that crazy pace. And to be honest, that's what I love about it. And I'd say, I think it's just going to, we're just going to keep, we're going to keep getting, or I know I am, I'm going to keep being surprised and impressed by the types of projects that are going to come out of Web3. And I can speak to just what I'm seeing in Algorand a little bit more to kind of share what I mean. Like I joined the foundation in November and, and before November, I like, I didn't know about some of the projects that are in our ecosystem and just knowing about what people are building just is mind blowing. So (laughs) Travel X, one of my favorite projects is called Travel X, which is they have gone out and tokenized airline tickets into NFTs. They've partnered with an airline called Fly Bondi that is built that is based in Argentina and they're they're building partnerships with other airlines globally as well. But just this one example is that they've Fly Bondi now, when you buy a ticket on Fly Bondi, it is actually an NFT that is minted on Algorand. And what that means is you can change your name. You can change, you can send this NFT to somebody else. You can even sell it in a secondary market. And I think it's one of these, it's one of these products and ideas that makes so much sense. <laughs> you're like, as a consumer, as a traveler, you're like, of course, why don't I own my ticket? Like, why mm-hmm. can't I see exactly. the, the holder of my own ticket that I've purchased? <laughs> and it's just brilliant. It's brilliant. It's like, it's a, they're just pushing the boundaries and they've completely turned an industry on its head. And I love that. I, and I think we're going to see more and more of these sort of like innovations come through using the technology, but using the fundamental aspects of the technology, like the, the ownership piece, the, the transparency piece, using those to flip an industry and flip the sort of business models for, for these traditional companies. And I just love that. I th- I, and I think we're going to see more of these. Wait, we have another company called Lofty that is doing tokenization of of residential rental markets. So you could like, oh, you could be a fractional owner of a of a rental property and earn rental income through it. But you can do it in a very transparent and quick and simple way. You can do it. You can do it by just paying fifty dollars. You don't have to like own. You know, six-figure number assets in order to do this. Like these types of things, I think just really showcase the power of Web3. And I think I'm excited about seeing more and more of these types of ideas and products out there. Yeah, it's interesting because when you talk about the specific use cases, I think it's those things for people who are not native to the space where they listen to it and think, Oh, I get it now. Like I really understand how this could be quite transformative for me as a user and, and sort of see the pat, the promise that the technology gives around sort of bringing back the point of power and choice to, to, to the user. And from a, uh, 
some of the examples that you kind of just talked about, do you see very much around loyalty and kind of reward within some of these different kind of projects? Because that to me is also, as you think about the customer journey, starts to be quite exciting for brands to get really sticky with their consumers. And also for me as a consumer to feel that getting something back, right, from kind of participating and being loyal to to whatever the brand is, to the airline or whoever it is. Yes. So we are seeing a lot of interest, right, from Mm -hmm. brands to think about tapping into blockchain to drive rewards and loyalty. And it's a big, I think it's a really big opportunity, but one that we have not yet fully fleshed out. Mm-hmm. By we, I mean collectively. Yep. Because I think we're just scratching the surfaces when we're saying, oh, let's use, let's launch a rewards program on a blockchain so that we can reward users for buying five drinks or whatever. Mm-hmm. For sure, a good way to do it, but it doesn't fundamentally change the way that consumers, right? We're still thinking about it in a, okay, I'm a customer and I want to be rewarded for my loyalty to this brand. It doesn't change the dynamic. And what I think is kind of fascinating about what Web3 can do is it like flips business models. It flips thinking. So like in that travel example, it's actually not about, not about how a traveler should be treated by the airline. It is mm-hmm. about the fact that I now own my ticket and I can do what I choose to do and I now have the power and the control, right? And so I think it to me, that's the more powerful thing. And then with that, you can, with that, you will have loyalty programs mm-hmm. and rewards mm-hmm. programs and right like there. Are, so it's almost like you're building a different, you're building a different bubble out here. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's really exciting. But the rewards piece is a very is a very important one for a lot of web 2 brands and I think this is where a lot of a lot of the interactions between web 2 and web 3 currently is taking place mm-hmm. I think it's going to go deeper than I think yeah. that is just like the very first step and we're going to get mm-hmm. so much more sophisticated and mature yeah. about the ways to truly leverage web 3 for what it's for what it's for I mean I think about fan engagement for example so so <laughs> imagine having a Taylor Swift ticket way before she was famous, but it was an NFT. <laughs> yeah. And now forevermore, I have, I get access to her tickets first. I'm not actually a Taylor Swift fan, to be fair, but it, it would be for, all, so for all the, it. yeah, for all the people that spent a thousand dollars on a ticket, it, to be one of those early supporters and to feel that you get preferential treatment. I think those are kind of the things that feel quite exciting from a a fan perspective and also for them to, the artists as well, to kind of connect on on a different level. So totally. You just reminded me, I was advising this group of students out of UPenn building, building a fan token platform for student athletes, right? And the idea is really like, kind of this idea of like you invest in their future and then by being in early into recognizing some of these student athletes when they're still students before they become professional athletes just it's not just flexing that you've that you were there but also just like being being part of that journey and if they're if they're if they're successful the value of their token goes up mm-hmm. right there's an exactly. element of investment it's just like a very interesting 
that's what I love. Like this interest, this like changing how you think about, yeah. about, about a business, about an idea. I think that's what I think what is all about. Yeah. And you I think like, once you get into that mindset, once you get into that yeah. mindset, you can't stop. <laughs> can't stop. Yes, you can't. You, and that's why I'm like, I don't know where it's going to go. Like it could go anywhere because I feel like I'm certainly not smart enough to even predict, but I can certainly appreciate just how, mm. like how yeah. just world, like life-changing some of the stuff can really be. Yeah, completely. Well, listen, I can't even believe that we're almost at time. It's been, it's been fantastic. Tell us before I let you go, what's kind of next for Algorand? What should we be looking out for? Yeah, more more stuff, more of these, like, just, you can't believe we haven't thought about this and why haven't, why don't we have this ideas come out of Algorand? I think the idea of real world assets on chain and how that could really change and improve people's lives. So we're really working impact vertical is something that we're, we've de- dedicated a lot of resources and time and into, and there's a lot of exciting projects like ID identified digital identifications, huge ways in which huge. So I think that's a vertical that I'm super excited about. Uh, As I mentioned, real world asset is another sort of fantastic use case that we're going to be sort of focused on as well at the foundation. And I think we're just, we want to just keep supporting projects that are just doing exciting things. We have we have projects like Goracle, which is a decentralized Oracle that really showcases our technology. I think those are projects that really get us excited. So our goal is really to, to be here for the projects that are building on our grant, give them all the support that we can and help them be successful. Because if they're successful, we're successful. And I think we sort of collectively all benefit. And so I'm just very grateful for all the folks in our ecosystem and everybody who's building, building these amazing products for us. Sounds great. And so if people want to follow along and hear more from you men, what's the best channel to to follow you? Yeah, well, Twitter. Now that we're <laughs> in Web3, we have to use Twitter. So Min <laughs> TWT. So I am on Twitter. But, you know, I also please follow the Algorand Foundation Twitter as well. We basically share most of our news and highlights of our projects on that handle. And that's the best way to get familiar with the projects and familiar with the ecosystem. Brilliant. Okay, great. We'll also include that in the show notes so we can make it really easy for people to find you. But thank you so much for joining us. It's been so fantastic to kind of hear your perspective and some of your insights and we'll be avidly following for updates on what's next for Algorand. But thank you for sharing so generously with our listeners today. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been really fun. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. And to our listeners, we'll see you next week for another episode of Web3 Disruptors. 